Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Give Me Strength. If you're looking for your next podcast fix, check out Castaway with Laura Whitmore, the go-to place for all your podcast recommendations. Broadcaster and podcast lover Laura Whitmore is on a mission to uncover the best podcasts out there by interviewing a celebrity guest every week about what they're listening to, whether it's shows about mental health, comedy, love, crime and fictional series. It's available on Apple, Spotify and all major podcast platforms. I always say my audience are my boss. You know, if I don't listen to them, I'll be doing something wrong because I don't I don't make stylists for me. I make it for everyone else. Yeah. So actually, if I'm not listening, something has gone really wrong in that conversation. When you conjure up an idea of what strength looks like, would it be physical muscles you'd see? Here at Give Me Strength, we believe that strength doesn't look a certain way. For some, it may be the kilograms on their deadlift, but for others, it may be overcoming challenges that life can throw at us or developing a resilience through difficult experiences. My name is Alice Living. I'm a personal trainer, best-selling author and influencer who knows only too well that strength is so much more than being just about the physical. And it's my mission now to use this podcast to inspire you with stories from people who've had to find courage through the most challenging or darkest of times and who can help all of us to be inspired to be not just physically, but mentally stronger too. Welcome to Give Me Strength. Today's guest is someone who I feel has had a hand in defining the landscape of how we now perceive strength. Someone who has, along with her incredible team, led the way within the media for much needed change. For greater diversity, for visibility, for bodies that don't all look the same. Stylist Magazine was formed by Lisa Smazarski over 10 years ago as the first freemium magazine for women, with a vision to create a magazine that treated women differently. No paparazzi photos, no gossip columns, no diets. It was created to showcase thought-provoking articles for multifaceted women interested in politics, careers and culture, as well as fashion and beauty. It was brave, it was bold and it was brilliant. And at the helm was Lisa, who steered the team to create the hugely successful publication it is now. What fascinates me is how fundamental the media is in changing the narrative for women. Growing up, I don't think we even realise how the content we consume in the media and online plays a huge part in defining us as people and how we see ourselves, how we value ourselves and the aspirations we have for where we will end up. And I'm now so excited to be joined by Lisa, who's going to give us a little bit of an insight into that and how she has changed that narrative. So Lisa, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. It's obviously tense times at the moment. We're doing this via Skype, but I'm so thrilled that we could, we have managed to be able to sit down and chat. Are you finding that sort of the current events are, are impacting you as a magazine? Well, yeah, I mean, it's unprecedented times, of course. So we're just trying to navigate our way just like everyone else at the moment. Um, we're still publishing as normal. We're still trying to reach out to everyone. I think now more than ever, you want your community around yeah. you. And we were talking about what's our role in that? What do we play? And I think really it's we're in this with you that's a bit of the stylist philosophy we're sort of navigating life alongside Mm. you and if we can be the light to the shade you know we're scared we're worried we're anxious we want to support through that but hopefully we can distract and you know entertain a bit through that as well Mm. so I think we're looking for different things I mean 
none of us know how this is going to play out. It's so strange at the moment. Every day is a new little surprise. And we're thinking all the time about how we can do things differently and speak to our audience. But, you know, business as usual, it's just that everyone's at home. So lots of remote working going on, lots of uh, Skype, Zoom, Slack chats. (laughs) It's like we're seeing inside everyone's houses, which we love, to be honest. And also, I guess one of the things that you mentioned there, which I've always loved about the magazine, is that you you listen to women and you always reflect their kind of emotions and feelings you don't try and gloss over you know big issues that need to be talked about and I think that's something that's that's always been really great about you as a content creator or magazine that you're not afraid to shy away from from big headlines and from big stories and from really saying it how it is and reflecting what people are feeling well, I mean, that's kind of you to say so. And that's certainly the goal of what we're trying to do, because really the philosophy of stylists is about having intelligent, like-minded conversation uh, with women like you. And and that's what we try to do on a daily, weekly basis with the magazine or with the website. Mm. Um, that means tackling really tricky topics. Mm. It's about calling ourselves out if we don't think we're perfect. You know, I think we're living in a world now where actually we could all do a bit better in terms of how we speak to women, particularly and we're trying to do that and to learn on that journey all the time as well so so for me it's really a case that I always say my audience are my boss you know if I don't listen to them I'll be doing something wrong because I don't I don't make stylists for me I make it for everyone else yeah so actually if I'm not listening something's gone really wrong in that conversation definitely and you started Stylist over 10 years ago now, which is crazy. So happy yeah. birthday to Stylist for, for last you. year, actually. Have you actually always worked in the media or was it something that you came to sort of later on? No, I've always worked in the media. In fact, I did a journalism degree. So I knew pretty much from my late teens that I probably wanted to work in journalism to some capacity. I hadn't quite worked out well, but I was lucky enough to get my first job on the day I handed my dissertation in, which was on teen magazine Bliss. I mean, a dream job, I have to say, at age 21. (laughs) Uh, I wrote the quizzes. So if you ever took one of those, I might have written that for you. Amazing. Um, So I've always worked in magazines. I absolutely love that. And obviously, in more recent years, that's been about getting to grips with digital and finding all the different platforms that we can speak to people on. What's really interesting is, I guess, with Stylist, it really does stand out as being the complete antithesis of those kind of gossip magazines (laughs) and media outlets. So what inspired you to, I guess, create the change you wanted to see? If you came from that background to then having this massive shift to creating a magazine that really does sit differently, what, what inspired that change? I mean, that's totally fair. It is very, very different world. And it's part of really from that experience that Stylist was created because I was working in newsstand magazines at the time. I'd worked in very traditional publishing houses. And at the time, Shortlist magazine, which was the whale equivalent, had come out. And I loved what they were doing. They had a really fresh tone and spirit. And I thought, oh God, if there's ever a women's one, I want to be part of it. And part of that was about doing things differently. I mean, I I realise now looking back, and this is a total learning that I just did what I was told to do. So I was told that women like certain things. I was often told that by men, to be honest. You know, there were very senior men at the top of these companies. Women like this on the cover, show some cleavage. Women don't like this, don't do that. And actually, I just conformed. I just went along with that. I didn't think to challenge it. And also, do you think think with some of that, and, and I've certainly experienced that with magazines, that if 
if you never do do anything differently, of course people are going to still, you know, want that because that's all they've ever seen. And until you offer something yeah. different, how are they ever going to know any different? Yeah, I mean, I have a saying, which is you don't know what you don't know. So if you go out and ask someone what they want in a magazine, they'll tell you everything they've ever read in a magazine so far. Mm. And they'll tell you the bits they liked. But what they can't tell you are the things that they've never seen. Mm. And actually, we had with stylists this unique distribution um, opportunity we could get magazines to people differently and I thought with that you know we're not on a newsstand we can do things differently and we've done some research in the company I was at a traditional company and people were getting a bit fed up with stuff and when I came to stylist I thought you know what now is the time the mood is here and it's funny actually because it's changed so much even during the past 10 years so when we launched I remember going out to see these advertisers and going we're a feminist magazine and they would look terrified they were like <laughs> what is this magazine that's coming who are these scary women so I had to start saying oh I mean feminists with a lowercase f you know we mean equality but you know we're not scary we're not all the negative things now 10 years on the narrative around feminism has changed so much mm. but for me that was always like that's a base level standard god you just want equal pay and you want to be treated equally mm. why wouldn't you want those things as a woman but that really summed up a, a big point of difference and then we you know we did our covers differently we changed the conversation our cast the people we wanted more inclusivity wanted to make sure every woman looking back could see herself on the page at some point so we just decided to wrap up the rule book and I'm happy to say 10 years on that's still happening yeah it's so interesting that you kind of mentioned there that you felt that you had to shrink your message a little bit to really appeal to advertisers and I think you know the landscape 10 years ago was completely different for women than it is now and it would be really interesting to hear how some of those conversations went with advertisers 10 years ago <laughs> where you went and you said I want to release this magazine that's specifically for women with feminism we're about equality we're about all of these things that are that are amazing and what the response was like then compared to now what kind of conversations were you having? I mean, I genuinely, I remember saying to someone, we're never going to run paparazzi shots on the cover and we're certainly not going to do anything in the equivalent of circle or shame or pointing out women's so-called bad bits. Mm. And somebody actually doing the kind of, oh, well, we'll see how long that lasts, won't we? And I was, you know, like, you gave me my fire. I can't remember who it was, but you gave me my fire to do things differently. Because I was like, I will show you women want more than that. It's just so offensive to yeah. think yeah. that we're so one-dimensional. But yeah, I had conversations like that People were scared of the feminism. People were um, didn't understand that a free magazine could be a quality magazine. So mm. that was another battle that we had. And we were really the underdog. I mean, it was just at the end of the recession. People sort of questioned whether a free advertising model could work. We sort of, in, on paper, we had everything against us, mm. except we knew that these women, all of our audience us basically yeah wanted something different mm. and we thought if we could get that to them to the audience then mm. actually we might be able to do that and to mm. do something special but you know so many people thought and I think hope to a degree it wouldn't work but like I said a second ago that that was good for me that gave me a real competitive edge that um, honestly it's made the, me want to prove it it's the best motivation when someone says you can't <laughs> do something and then you're like I'm gonna prove you wrong now you kind of mentioned that like I love how you really seem to understand your readership. You really understand who picks up Silas, who that woman is. How has she changed in 10 years? Who was that reader 10 years ago and who is she now? 
That's a really good question, actually, because that's what I spend a lot of my time thinking about. So I always joke that we're like cod psychologists. We have to try and guess what's going on in our audience's head. I spend a lot of time listening. I mean, a good skill anyway in life, but I listen on buses. I listen in restaurants and bars. I, you know, love listening to people's chat to mm. hear where the concerns are, particularly when they're with a group of women, because it tends to be quite honest chat. Um, how have they changed? There's a lot changed around work, career and ambition. Mm -hmm. when we launched definitely the narrative was I want to be the boss one day and that might be of my own business there was a lot of entrepreneurialism going on but it's still a very traditional career ladder now nobody says I want to be the boss anymore there's you know such a rejection a real pursuit of work-life balance about finding interests outside of work that fulfill people and there's a lot of kind of lateral sidestepping going on in careers. We saw lots of people starting crafting based or hobby based businesses 10 years ago, which also seems quite bonkers now that that was such a huge trend. Because of course, that again, isn't how people are thinking now. It seems a bit like a cliche of the past. I have to say, relationship wise, people are the same. Mm. Not much has changed apart from online dating. Mm. So the method of which we reach and find our partners has changed. But actually, the fun fundamental worries, the life timetables that we strictly set ourselves and then punish ourselves about, they've been fairly constant. And then the other bit, which is probably a bit of a sad truth, is that anxiety and worries are much higher now than they were 10 years ago. So, I mean, obviously, we talk about mental health more. That's a big change and a positive change. But alongside that, we've seen a huge increase in, particularly in anxiety, actually, but in various mental health issues. And I think that's so much about the climate that we live in. So there's a huge amount of worry about money, getting on property ladder, financial security in the future, and a sense that, God, maybe that won't be ours. Maybe we won't have that. Mm. And whether you compound that with big news stories and, you know, as we sit here today with coronavirus as it is, mm. these things are really creating strange spikes in anxiety. So, so that probably is the saddest change that I've seen in that evolution of our audience but you know there, there, there are lots of positives as well we we speak to brilliant women who impress me every day they're so strong and ambitious and you know just really interesting actually and listening to that a lot has changed in the landscape of women and one of the things that I feel personally has changed quite a lot is diversity and you know if I look back 10 years ago I would look at a newsstand and all the women would be white thin probably blonde, <laughs> and they would yeah. all look the same. And I think yeah. that word diversity wasn't something that was really spoken about 10 years ago and was reflected in that distinct lack of diversity across covers and across the content in women's magazines. You at Silas have definitely championed diversity as a brand, you know, online, in print. Can you explain why that's so important to you? Mm. There's two things here that kind of spring to mind. The first is that I realised I didn't challenge what was set as a social norm. So I mentioned before some of the culture of which I was taught and trained. Now, this is a horrifying story, but it, it is something that happened. But I remember um, going to a talk of what works on magazine covers and being told point blank that black women don't sell. Do not put a black woman on your cover. Now, the damage that did and those sort of lessons did, and yes, maybe one magazine hadn't sold with a particular personality on it, but actually that's become a widespread cultural norm in magazines it was just horrific and I do remember that just being a standard of how we worked now 
Whether you could challenge that was very tricky in a big publishing house. You know, you had to prove that your covers were going to sell. So obviously people then just stuck to this kind of homogenized woman that you so accurately described because she'd worked for a while, therefore she'd work forever. So when it came to stylists, we did start to challenge that because that had always sat very uncomfortably with me. And when I met my audience, they weren't all this homogenized blonde white woman. And I wanted to reflect that. And I felt that we were quite good at it. But actually, I got a letter probably in the first year or the second year from a pressure group at the time who were called Women of Colour. And it was a written out letter, which I wish I'd kept and I didn't, but I quote it almost daily, said to me, when I look at Silas, I don't see myself looking back. And now that horrified me because I just thought I thought I was doing a better job, but the job I was doing wasn't good enough. Mm. So I went through everything that we did and I started to think about all women. So this wasn't just about race, although that was certainly a very big part of it. But this was about body shape. This was about disability. This was about not age in its entirety, because we're targeted at women in their 30s. But certainly within our cast of characters, you should mm. pe- see people who look their age and mm. act with age diversity. Mm. So I thought about every single aspect, sexuality, mm. every way that you could find something that represented you as a woman and thought about how we as a brand could be better at representing that. And we have lots of slots in which we celebrate real women. It's quite easy when you do that. But we had to challenge model agencies to cast us women who were diverse. And I remember um, having a conversation. There was a trend that had come out of Korea and we were trying to find a Korean model. And the agent came back and, well, I've got a Japanese woman or I've got a Chinese woman. And we're like, they're not Korean. You can't do that. Mm. Like, this is simply unacceptable. So again, we would have to have those challenging conversations. Now, Mm. it's one of the proudest things for me when I look around on the catwalk walks now and see a growingly diverse audience that isn't just tokenistic because Mm. I do think we helped to instigate some change Mm. do I think we could do better always Mm -hmm. I think we have to check ourselves I have to look around my own office and see how inclusive that is about Mm. who are the women in the room having the conversation because we all bring our history we bring ourselves to the conversation and who's making the decisions, who's coming up with the ideas. It is really, really important to me because primarily because the women I speak to are a really diverse and interesting group of women. Mm. And I just want to reflect that in everything that we do. And that's in our images. It's in the stories that we tell. It's, it, I, I think it fundamentally moulds our entire brand, actually. Absolutely. And I think the more you reflect the women who are going to pick up your magazine, the more they want to then engage it. Like it seems crazy to not want to do that. You know, for me, diversity is the most obvious thing because why wouldn't you want to reflect your actual readership? We're all so unique in our own individual ways. And if you can see yourself reflected in the media, on social media, in, in different ways, online that's going to be far more of a of an incentive to then engage with that content. I just, it seems obvious to me, but it's something that, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like we still have a long way to go with that across all platforms, but, but you guys are doing an amazing job with it. One of the things that really sort of makes me think it's important is if you can't be seen, you basically get this subconscious message that you don't matter. Mm. And I think, you know, fundamentally, there are so many young women and we can still see it in teenagers, you know, self-esteem is still very, very low. If you're being told all the time due to your body shape or to your race and ethnicity, that you are 
are not important enough to be seen. Mm. You damage generations of women. And I think genuinely think it's our duty as the media, as advertisers, to make women feel seen and to make sure they're important. You know, we, there's still gender inequality within that. You know, there's still bigger issues. So for me, this is just something, it's a really big issue for me, actually. I yeah. really want to push everyone to think about that and mm. how they represent on their own platforms I think as well like if I think about my mum's generation for example magazines were huge for them you know print you know it's not as widespread as it is now you know sadly we've we've seen many many titles for which has been a real shame but if I think back to my mum's generation like they were so integral to their weekly routine or monthly routine that they would get their weekly magazine or their monthly magazine and within that there would always be that diet chat there would be oh. the detoxes, the weight loss chat. Like it was it was almost so interwoven into women's magazines that it was impossible to escape from it. And one of the things that you have done as a magazine is to basically omit that kind of diet chat from stylist. And I think that's incredible. And I think it's hugely empowering for women to, to not open a magazine and automatically be told that they need to be on a diet or that their life will be better if they suddenly do X, Y or Z or eat this food. And you know, I think that's that's such a positive thing. So I wondered if you could talk about maybe how, how that's been received and the response that you've had from that. Yeah, I mean, this is a hot topic for me. I think this is so important. And again, it was part of the DNA in which we invented Stylist With was that we would never do any sort of fad diets and we would never dictate to a woman that she needed to be on a diet or have a homogenized body shape, which is why I love you, because that's exactly the message that you pass on to everyone as well. And I think it's so critical. We are not the same and we should mm. not be the same. Mm. And the other thing that really winds me up about so much diet content is it's completely ridiculous ridiculous and unhealthy and you know when I was sort of working in magazines there were lots of things like the cabbage soup diet and you know this this idea that yes if you eat a cabbagey liquid for a week or two weeks yes you will lose weight you'll be incredibly unhealthy incredibly unhappy incredibly antisocial I imagine by the end of it but of course we're not idiots we know that you know it's completely it's just a way of controlling and um patronizing women god I could go on about this phrase but I, but really I just think it's straight yeah it's that toxic messaging that seems to seep into every area of media and and actually one thing that I have noticed is it's not just women but it's also men too you know look at no. men's magazines men's health for example like there has been a huge shift to change that narrative over the last couple of years. And I appreciate that that has definitely happened. But, you know, going back to what I was saying, mm. it's it was 10 years ago, it was probably hard to pick up a magazine and not be overwhelmed with the amount of toxic kind of diet chat that was mm. going on that caused a lot of issues for a lot of people, I think. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, I think, think so. the media, to a certain extent, it sounds like you are really saying we to a certain extent take responsibility that we we don't want to create that relationship with food you don't want you don't want to give people issues you don't want to make people feel as though they have to open a magazine and the first thing they have to be told is that they need to be on a diet mm. well that's to say and with so much emotional language attached to food you know it, it's sin or it's good for you you know it's clean or it's dirty it's guilty pleasures it's just everything is so emotionalized and I wanted to eradicate that but going back to your first question we didn't tell people we didn't do diets to begin with we just didn't put it in and we were rejecting advertisers who wanted to put any sort of diet or calorie-based content as the primary message now you know obviously the conversation around weight has changed and, and body issues have changed for, throughout those 10 years but we have stuck to that and it was probably only about five years or six years ago that I said 
it out loud, actually. I'm not sure I said it at the beginning. And that was partly in reaction to the fact that still that narrative was continuing everywhere else. And although we weren't doing it, we weren't being explicit about the fact. So when we started to say we don't do diets, I was just like, oh my God, I knew there was a reason why I didn't feel bad when I read Stylist, but I did couldn't have told you what it was. And we again, we're so used to seeing these things. It's mm. part of our normal language, mm. particularly in women's media, that actually it took me pointing it out for people to realise what the difference was. And actually, I realised that maybe we should do that more because we can help encourage change in other areas as well by doing that. Mm. I just think it's such a positive shift. You know, when I think about being a teenager and picking up a magazine, I remember actually I did a post about it when I first started blogging. There was this one diet that was like, reduce yourself to 700 calories a day. I mean, it was like, it was so horrendous. And being an impressionable teenager, I sort of looked at that and thought that was totally the norm. I had no other kind of knowledge. And you just realise that it's not expert-led, which I think is really dangerous in that most of these magazines, you'll have someone that's sort of like a glossy nutritionist who maybe doesn't have the qualifications to support that. It seems harmless on the surface, but actually... For me, it's it's one of the most dangerous things out there is that people are being misinformed and being led to believe that they really have to sort of constantly be on a diet, constantly be restricting what they're eating. And then mm. it just creates a really harmful narrative. And if someone like Silas comes in and bucks the trend, and you know, like you said, you didn't even come out and say, you know, we're not doing diet chat. You just didn't do it. And people probably opened it and didn't even realise to a certain extent. But I think that's such a positive shift. And I think hopefully that's the way that like all media is going to go in terms of, I guess, either giving qualified advice or just not not making women feel inadequate all the time. Yeah, well, this is it. We're not we're not anti being healthy and being interested in your health, and food plays a part of that. Mm. You know that that of course is really important, and we would never ever take a position on that because of course it's good to look after ourselves. But I think anything that encourages extremes, like you say, lack mm. of expertise, super dangerous. When you were talking, then you reminded me of something that actually had m- motivated me in this a while ago. So I thought I'd share the story because um, when I worked at Bliss Magazine, we often had interns in the office who were 14 or 15 years old so they were like our mini focus groups and we chat to them all the time and uh, we were doing a team meeting and this lovely smart sparky young woman was in there we had a plate of biscuits in the room and uh, she leant to get one and then pulled her hand away and when I looked at her hand she had the word fat written on it and I so I, I this meeting derailed very rapidly as you would imagine and I said to her like why have you got the word fat on it and she was like oh god it's this brilliant trick I should share with you you write on your hand and when you want to eat something you see the word fat and it reminds you that if you eat it you know you're going to get fat and actually it really works you won't believe it now Honestly, this was a young woman who really didn't need to uh, be concerned about her weight or body shape at all. And this was culturally normal for her and her peers. And actually, that really was where this journey started for me a long time ago, was how damaged our young girls, our teenagers and young women were as they were coming through, thanks to all of this messaging that had mm. been pumped out for so long. And that that's why I do think it is important to talk about, because that hasn't changed, actually. You know, it's probably got worse because there are so many more influences that can't be mm. regulated. Mm. We can't check their authenticity mm. that particularly teenagers are exposed mm. to. If I could regulate
regulate this. I would, you know, Mm. I think it's so important for us to encourage healthy conversation, Mm. but not to be putting anywhere near this pressure that Mm. we do as women and young, young girls. And I think you're, you're right. There's definitely a conversation to be had about health, but that sits in a completely different category to diets and to to that kind of behavior that's actually incredibly disordered. Mm. You know, like it's a fine line between, you know, these foods are nutritious and this these are the things that you can do for your health to feel great and be at your best without blurring those lines and then going into the kind of oh and also you can lose 10 pounds by doing, you know what I mean like it's really it's really hard but but obviously as a magazine you, you've really you've created I get I don't want to call it a rule because you said it's not really that but you have you've created so you set a precedent and it's yeah. amazing that you've, you've stuck with that and I think that's so so brilliant now you talked earlier about how when you launched Stylist, you said that you were doing feminism, but with a, uh, a lowercase f. And I yep. loved I loved that because I was like, <laughs> what is that exactly? <laughs> but but what I would love to know is firstly, what you perceived your, your style of feminism, I guess, or what feminism meant to you then yep. compared to what it is now. Like you've had time to reflect. And I guess maybe that even the concept of feminism now is something that's di- very different to what it was then. And I wondered mm. if you could talk about that. That was a reaction to pe- the, all the negative con- connotations that were with feminism 10 years plus ago, which was the concept of man-hating, angry feminist. For me, feminism was really just, well, I want what everyone else is having. I just want an equal place at the table. Mm. And that just means I want to be paid equally. I want to be treated equally. I want to walk down the street and feel safe and comfortable in my own skin. That's all I really want. And the lower case was really about saying, I guess it was all the cliches and stereotypes. So as I said, man-hating was a big fear for everyone that, God, here they come again. Those women hating the men. It was like, we actually quite like men in our world it's just that we would like to share some of the privileges that uh, the men we meet have and it was about suggesting it would be on a new conversation a new wavelength so really early on we did lots of conversation around gender pay gap we did in issue three i remember we did an article about in norway that introduced quotas to the board level positions to make sure that i think they were aiming for like 30 or 40 percent women we did um, an article on that was just get people thinking about their role and what they could the part they could play in terms of their own workplace Mm. and what we might want to ask of the government if it came to that in terms of getting to a similar place Mm. so we were just exploring the concepts around it and then the other bit was just celebrating women and we've talked about this a lot now but I felt really that women's magazines didn't like women very much you know all of the content that we're talking about doesn't make you feel proud or happy to be a woman. It makes you feel critical and sort of lesser in some way and actually I just wanted to go God, we're bloody brilliant. Like, how do we celebrate women more? So things like our work life page, which just profiles a woman in her workplace, we're really about just going, look at this amazing woman and what Mm. she's doing. And like, props to her, isn't she uh, doing an amazing job? So actually, we all have better role models Mm. around us and their peers they might be junior to us. They might be 10 years behind us in terms of career progression, but learning from those brilliant women around us. So it was very, it was very pure, I guess, in that sense. It was, it wasn't really about starting a wave. It was just about a belief system that yeah. ingrained what we are. Obviously, that conversation has moved on a huge amount over um, the past 10 years. I mean, Catelyn Moran's book, I think, came out two or three years, maybe about two years after we launched Stylist, which obviously blew everything mm. out of the water. 
and obviously we then started to celebrate a fantastic new wave of feminists and particularly young women which I think was really interesting it had been a sort of an older women's area before and you know to more recently voices like Scarlett Curtis who again are changing the conversation for young women which is fantastic so how do I see that being different I think there's a real ownership of our feminism now it's a really belief there's an Mm. activism behind it Mm. obviously we come up now on the tail of the me too movement about finding our voice in the conversation so therefore it's a little bit angrier right now than perhaps it was 10 years ago that was just a i want what's due to me now it's like actually i really want what's Mm. due to me and i'm coming to get it which i you know i've loved watching that evolution it's something that excites me and you know gives me so much hope for the future because Mm. everyone i meet who works in the space god you can feel really good about what's coming for women Mm. if if our future is in their hands so i think this wave now is actually about demanding what is owed to us to a degree but also i'm really interested in the in the inclusivity of that conversation as well and in terms of going obviously if you speak to a black woman then she will still talk about how it's harder to be a black woman than it is a white woman i think it's really important for us to be allies in those conversations as well absolutely Um, and and to you know to look at womanhood as a whole on a global scale about what really needs to be done so I think the conversation continues to move Mm. I think there's more momentum than there was 10 years ago Mm. Um, I think the intersectional side of that is essential in terms of helping women move forward so you know lots to do but I think all moving in a good and positive direction we'll be back after this Welcome back to Give Me Strength. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that you picked up on there, which I I have certainly felt is for a long time, particularly when I was sort of in my teenage years, I felt very much pitted against other women. You always felt like it was a competition between women. You 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 were competing for it for something else. And you know, I came from an industry, so I used to be in, in musical theatre. And it was very much like we were all against each other and there was no sort of unity or women supporting women that I see now. It's very much like you against her and you're against everyone. And it, and it just created this really hostile environment that I don't mm. think did women any favours in when that, that's then exacerbated by what you see in the media. For example, I'll never forget the kind of, and I don't know whether they still exist, they probably do, but you'll get like the bikini pictures where it's like, oh, they look terrible and they look amazing. Look how good she looks. I mean, even now you get Kate versus is Megan and it's like we're never just allowed to exist it's always like who's better who looks better who dresses better who's got better hair you know there's there's always that sense of competition and I think if we can as you've said start to celebrate women in their individuality in who they are not against each other not not comparing them to one another and actually just celebrating each person for who they are the better we're all going to be I think it's a, a really important part of that conversation Mm. it's probably one of the biggest things that still happens in the media actually the concept of who wore it best from the red carpet through to exactly that i mean kate kate and megan i mean goodness me i've never seen such ridiculous stuff written about a pair of women and you know wasn't it inevitable that actually they couldn't be friends they couldn't be allies of course they would be pitched to be enemies Mm. because that is how women are played out that's why the spice girls was always about the infighting you know that con that conversation continues Mm. through you you hear it a bit about groups of men but you don't hear it 
ever to the same degree. No. And I think I find that a bit depressing that we're still having that conversation. We've taken a real position on our website, actually, to sort of really call it out whenever we see it. Mm. Because again, it's so ingrained, it's so normalised that women, women do that. This isn't something men do to women. Women do this as well. You know, it's sort of, we, we forget that actually this is just a cultural norm that we need to unpick and to change a little bit. Because, I, you know, got to be honest, the women around me are bloody brilliant. Yeah. I don't go to work going, I'm wearing it better than she yeah. is. <laughs> no, honestly, and I have to call out, you did an amazing piece recently and um, I only saw it through. So Maya Jammer is someone who I absolutely adore. And mm. there was a piece that you wrote, I think it was online, where you basically called out how every other news outlet had referred to her as being sort of Stormzy's ex or that they, like, you know, constantly referencing her as like lesser than or there was some animosity there or everything she did was then linked back to him. And you basically yeah. came out and did this really amazing piece where you were like, Maya is amazing. These are all the amazing achievements she's done. And I just thought you have to call it out exactly as you just said. If no one's there calling out the bullshit, <laughs> sorry yeah, to be rude, totally but true, if no yeah. one's there doing it, it just carries on and carries on because no one ever says, hang on a second, there's something fundamentally wrong with what we're doing here. And if actually you can come out and, and that's what I see stylists as, you are that that voice that, that, that challenges the rest of the media by saying, hang on a second, I don't think this is actually right. I think, you know, this is pretty nasty. This is also quite damaging, especially in, in light of recent events. And, you know, mm. we can do better. We can do better. And I think that's something that I love about you guys. I think that's been a really important part of our journey. We definitely didn't start there, but that's certainly something that we're doing a lot of now. We get up getting our wrist slapped all the time by people we don't mind getting our wrist slapped by to be honest because we are prepared to call it out because the thing is it goes back to what we were saying earlier you don't know what you don't know you can't change if you don't change Mm. you know somebody has got to start that movement and and we all feel a bit disempowered and I think you know actually all just calling it out noticing it just putting a spotlight on it, even if that's to your friends and just saying, this isn't all right, actually, is it? Because we've got to unpick that. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned obviously the recent climate and the conversations that we've been having, but we're, we're really trying to push that message of don't click on it, don't encourage it, mm. don't be lulled into this debate which pits women against women mm. and, you know, basically bullies them to a degree because every time you click, you vote for mm. more. Mm. And that's the thing, you kind of go, curiosity can get the better of all of us, but actually we can make a really loud noise that we don't want this just by not clicking on it. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you don't click it, it won't get produced. They'll be looking for the thing that you're prepared to click on. So for me, if we can get more positive messaging through that way, that will, God, it just makes such a big change to women, I think. Amen to that. <laughs> um, now I'm going to move on to Stylist Strong, which is a new initiative yes. that you guys have started not that long ago. And that is absolutely amazing. Can you maybe explain a little bit about what it is and why you founded this movement? Yeah, so we have been working on a project for just over a year now. So it started Stylist Strong and has recently moved into its second phase, which is Strong Women. And this is probably our first tiptoeing into health and fitness. Mm. Now, for all of the reasons that I mentioned earlier, we've been quite worried about getting into the sector because we don't want to suggest that women have to behave a certain way, that they're lesser if they don't engage with that sort of content. But actually, we couldn't ignore the fact it was a huge trend for our audience and um, what we were particularly interested was the rise in women 
wanting muscles, women who were getting strong, so part of the Strong Not Skinny movement. And what what particularly stood out within that was that this was about strength of mind as well as body, which I know is a big message Mm. for you. Mm. But actually, you know, our, our whole theory in the DNA of Silas is all about that, that this is about how we can be stronger for us. And so Strong Women is a new part of our brand that celebrates that. So mm-hmm. we opened a fitness studio in the Albright and we got this incredible, unique bit of programming, which is just about helping you as a woman be physically stronger. So mm-hmm. it wasn't about achieving a certain body shape. It's about setting yourself some own little targets and had the most incredible team of trainers who are just like brilliant women who understand women's bodies too. So they talk about your hormonal cycle they mm. talk about how your body will work differently mm. and created this lovely safe space because when we were speaking to women we had these really interesting conversations so it was like number one we could see that women were lifting more weights and they wanted to mm. be stronger and that was part of their fitness regime number two was that they felt that that was still a really male dominated area and actually it was still quite intimidating to go into the weight spaces lots of women talking to us about territorial grunting sweating men like not letting them near the dumbbells and they were mm. like then you know they're picking up a very light weight and feeling all a bit silly in comparison to these silly men so so that was that was interesting because we were like we can reclaim that space for women actually mm. but mostly it was about how do we find physical and mental strength together mm. so yeah so we've launched this fitness class and that's going to pop up in various places and we've launched an instagram channel we've got lots of digital content mm. celebrating strong women so that's finding out why women are on their own journey to be strong how they dig deep and find mental strength at particularly challenging times there is you know just pure fitness um, and health aspect to it but Mm. so much of it is about the the whole of us really Mm. and how how we develop our own strengths because I think really when you speak to women that's a big aspiration now is how do I find my strength and and strength can be all the emotions we consider weak as well Mm. like crying being open and Mm. honest about being vulnerable I mean Mm. I always say my journey to strength is admitting I'm vulnerable because I'm so like I'm fine Mm. I'm fine never crumble never weak well that's that's not actually a brilliant thing like Mm. for me to be strong I've got to give some of that away I think Mm. so this is what we're exploring for our new content vertical and uh, through the fitness program as well and I have to say I hadn't done a strength training class before and I did it but and I loved it because these women were just so encouraging and so positive and I I don't like being shouted at in the gym I get very kind of like leave me alone don't Mm. try and motivate me but again it was just really inclusive and really friendly environment so that's been an interesting journey for us yeah I think it's such a great focus on and I've definitely seen it with my clients as well what can you do? You know, so often when you when you approach exercise, it's like, oh, well, I can't do that and I can't do that and oh, I really struggle with this. And we're very, very bad at that whole negative self-talk of saying, oh, I'm not very good at this. And so true. I think when it comes to exercise, you know, the biggest thing is you've got to enjoy it. So you've got to find something that you enjoy. And that might be strength training, it might not. But if it yeah. is... There are so many ways within that that you can regress and progress that training that it is so accessible to all. You know, I've seen so many different types of women engage in strength training and really embrace it as I finally found something that I can do and that it's not just the physical empowerment. It's also, like you mentioned, the mental side of that, the chance to be able to finally say, you know, I can do something. I can do this. This is I, I feel good for being able to lift you know, heavy weights. And I think there's part of it as well. 
from my perspective that it's like I feel very empowered going into the weight section of the gym and being like, I deserve my spot here just as much as all of the men. You know, that for me was quite, you know, I came out of an abusive relationship where my confidence was on the floor. And then suddenly to be able to then feel as though, you know what, I'm going to reclaim that space, just as you said, and I'm going to actually walk into the weight section and own my space and know that I deserve that spot just as much as anyone else. It was so empowering. And I think mm. the more women we can get to engage with that, and actually the more women we even get on the weight floor so that it, there is equality there rather than just a, a group of grunting men, the better, <laughs> you know? So I think classes like yours where you where you have that, you open the door to women to be able to take those first steps because it's yeah. really intimidating to like go from zero to then stepping into the weight section and knowing exactly what to do. And I get that. So if there can, if there can be something, you know, like Stylus Strong where you're in a class environment and you're really shown in detail how to do each movement and to really break it down and feel confident in that yeah you're then going to release so many more women onto the gym floor who then feel great and can pick up some weights and say i know exactly what i'm going to do yeah it's it's the whole principle of teach a man to fish i mean it's terrible that's a it's a man reference but <laughs> um, <laughs> but i but really it was it was like how do you how do you it, it really encourage confidence mm. and give people the skills to go on and do it because actually you know you gave me boost bumps when you're saying you're owning your bit of the world i i still don't feel like that actually i don't feel that confident when mm. i go into those sort of spaces it's still a learning curve for me so having that kind of comfort and the absolute championing support of those brilliant trainers has been really positive experience for me Mm. but also the other women who are like high-fiving you and giving you like you know really sort of supporting you through the process and then hopefully you know we're we're doing that at home remotely we're showing that on instagram and all the rest of it as well so for me it's just that journey of like finding the bit for you that Mm. would help you develop your strength because for some people that will be physical and for others it absolutely won't that'll be about a mental journey that they want to go on so yeah hopefully giving everyone the tools to find their strength whatever it is exactly and it's not just you know everyday women that you're also championing within that what I love about you as a magazine is you've done incredible things for women in sport for female athletes and for sports women you've just had the most amazing cover with um, Catherine Johnson Thompson and you did your fair game campaign in 2012 which pledged to make real changes for female athletes so you've really banged the drum for female sports women and I think that is a, a a hugely important conversation that needs to be had and you know it's something that we've tried to champion on this podcast as well inviting female athletes on and really hearing about particularly within sport the inequality that they still face it's something that you're definitely yeah you're obviously shining a light on yeah I think again this is a bit like the feminism conversation it has moved on quite a lot since we started in 2012 I mean when we still started the none of the big women's sporting competitions were televised bar things like athletics mm. gymnastics Olympics mm. and stuff and obviously tennis but obviously rugby football still very much behind the scenes and we were just totally struck by the inequality of it all and the fact that really it wasn't changing every time you looked at any of those statistics there were less girls than ever to participate in sport we were missing Mm. out basically Mm. we didn't have our role models they didn't have their place in mainstream media so we thought actually we can change that we can we can start opening that door and partly that's preaching to the converted they're people who women who might want to engage and might know about them or who want to find out more um so we also went off and we spoke to the bbc and we spoke to channel four we spoke to the government and we got some funding from adidas for some grassroots teams and you know everyone was doing that just because they really believed in it so that's where it started really nice to see there's lots of 
big media who are interested in women's sports now that's completely changing the conversation but again you speak to so many of those female athletes and they're training in really terrible conditions they haven't got kit they haven't got investment they're working full-time jobs and still doing these incredible things around it so again i think i think there's more that we can do but i think the first step for us really is about creating role models so mm. that the next generation is coming through so that's about visibility mm. it's about knowing their names about knowing their stories about wanting them to win and mm. championing them about going along to the women's football games you know mm. all the rest of it it's about creating a cultural norm around women in sport and celebrating the amazing things they can do because they really can I mean every single one of the stories in that issue we just did I was like oh just tearing up just like every single person is incredible and their commitment is astonishing so uh, we can learn a lot from them I think mm, definitely now we've done a lot of looking back in this podcast yeah. so we've looked back a lot and said how things have changed over the last 10 years but I really want to now look forward when it comes to the next five ten years what are some of the changes that you as a magazine are going to champion over the next few years and what are some of the changes that you personally want to see uh, I mean, it's a million dollar question, I suppose, because we tend to follow the conversation. But changes I would like to see, I'd just like to see inclusivity as a norm. I, I'd really love to stop having that conversation, actually, mm. and to have to stop banging that drum. Because I think I'm just amazed in 2020, we still are, that, it, you know, you have to request diversity rather than it just coming as standard. Mm. So that for me is a really big part of my agenda, actually, for Stylus over the next couple of years is what can we do to help move that conversation along so we can stop having the conversation mm. a bit further. And we're doing things like we're working with our advertisers and um, brands and things now to mm. sort them about what they can do. We're teaming up with other women from different groups to work out how we can encourage that conversation along. So that's probably my number one thing in terms of creating change. I still think, you know, look, that until we've got better parity in terms of boardroom representation, in mm. terms of pay, in terms of government representation, there's still going to be work to be done in sort of encouraging women into those spaces. My dream would be in 10 years to sit back and say to you, Alice, God, do you remember when we had to talk about feminism all yeah. the time? It's just normal now. <laughs> that's my dream wouldn't that be the dream yeah absolutely we might Um, we never know oh keep banging that drum we are we're doing it we're doing this (laughs) amazing and you talked earlier and I found it really interesting how you said you've had so many learnings over the last 10 years Mm. and that you've had to hold your hand up and say oh you know what we did that wrong here's how we're going to do better and I think one of the best things in life is being able to acknowledge your mistakes and be able to say, I made that because none of us are perfect. And I think we all understand that now. But to be able to acknowledge them and to say, this is where we might have done something wrong, but here's how we're going to do that differently. And I wonder if you you could maybe discuss what are some of your key learnings from the past 10 years and, and, and the things that you've really worked on? I think I've learned a lot about listening, about not assuming I understand, about trying to understand everyone's experiences. I think that's big for me as a manager, as a friend, as a creator of content for an audience. They're all really, it plays into a lot of aspects of my life. And I am a giddy, excitable person. So sometimes I have to learn to shut up. <laughs> to people. So, so that's a really big thing for me, actually. In terms of the brand, definitely we can do more always. Mm. We have a really powerful platform and an amazing army of women behind us who have a shared purpose and a shared mission. And, you know, the inclusivity conversation, we've talked a lot about that. 
but I do keep thinking we can do more and we should do more to mm. fast track that. I'm admitting to say you're wrong. I mean, definitely, maybe 10 years ago I was better, but there's certainly been points in my career where I'm like, woo it wasn't me, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think, you know, as you say, you know, lots of people have been great in this conversation about learning from failure and learning from our mistakes. Elizabeth Day, obviously way up there. Mm. But actually, I think there are lots of people who have championed that movement and I think that's been a big learning for me and something I hope to learn and I think I think probably the other thing I mean it talks about the fact I started in very sort of traditional magazines and moved into stylist but that was a bit of following my gut following my personal instinct of what I thought an audience might want and I learned a lot from that actually because I think that belief is what carried certainly me with stylist but a lot of the momentum at the beginning in terms of defining it as the brand as it is today Mm. so a bit of belief in yourself and what you can offer rather than just sort of following the rules that we've been given and I am very much a yes person so don't get me wrong I'm not like (laughs) I'm not breaking rules all over the place but actually I really did believe in it and that belief drove a lot for me I love that and I think it is really important often we do what we're told and we listen to the voices above us who sort of say oh you can't do that you can do this and I think sometimes we do have to challenge those you know there have been many times in my life where I've challenged those restrictions that are placed onto me because I've had that deep feeling that no hang on a second I know this is right and I know it's going to work and I think that gut feeling is is a, a really big thing and just going with your gut sometimes is the best thing you can do you've talked about the learnings I now wondered if you could share with me, you're allowed to blow your own trumpet now for a wee second (laughs) and talk about some of your biggest personal achievements. As a magazine, you have done phenomenally well and you've sort of really proved those people who sat in those initial boardroom meetings and said, oh, okay, yeah, (laughs) you really proved them wrong. So I wondered if you could maybe share what what for you are some of your favourite moments and your biggest achievements from the last 10 years? I mean, there are lots of things I'm incredibly proud of, actually, that we've managed to do. And certainly some things that I found myself involved with that I was like, I couldn't have imagined we'd be doing this however many years ago. So probably last year when we asked 10 guest editors to take over an issue, which culminated in me literally at the drop of a hat flying over to New York for Hillary and Chelsea Clinton to take over an issue will go down in history. I mean, I was like, shall I retire now? This is just <laughs> incredible. So that that really was a moment. And actually, the first time I interviewed Hillary was probably about four or five years ago. And that was such a big deal for us as a brand because we were chosen as the UK magazine to do that exclusive against all other magazine media. And that was a massive moment for us because it really just meant that we were being taken very, very seriously Mm. on an international scale as well. And that she trusted us to come back for more is even more of a compliment, I think. So that definitely is up there. I've had moments where it's more about fighting back so we did a Harvey Weinstein cover which I'm incredibly proud of and being part of those conversations we um my colleague actually it was Alex's idea but she did this um well this is Beachbody Ready in response to the ad campaign of a few years ago Mm. I think being able to pick up some of those conversations finding our nerve Mm. have been really proud moments for me spinning off the brand you know we started as a magazine and we ended up with this amazing big event in Stylist Live Lux Mm. like walking around that and seeing thousands and thousands of women who love stylists is probably the thing that gets me the most Mm. because I feel so proud and this year actually when we held it it was in November 
And uh, it was actually the catwalk show that got me because it was a really inclusive casting. And what I was thinking about was I wasn't, I didn't do any of this, but the message is now so ingrained in the whole team that when they do that, that's instinctively how everyone thinks Mm. and behaves. And every sort of panel of people that I saw, I would like, this is our, these are our women. This is our world. And I have to say that was a, that was a big moment for me as well. So they're my blow your trumpet moments. Amazing. And, and like, just on that last point, when you set something as the norm, it just becomes, it becomes the norm. You know, like if, if you set a precedent and that becomes, well, this is our, our norm and this is what we're going to go from, then isn't that amazing to then see that rolled out? And if we can can roll that out on a wider scale if possible, then wouldn't that be great if every catwalk was as inclusive as that one at Silas? But I think it's so wonderful that you, you did set that precedent as a magazine, as a brand, as your core ethos, as a person, and that that is then being reflected in all of the staff underneath you and all of the people who subscribe to that magazine and who want to, to really be part of that narrative. I think it's so special. Yeah, yeah. No, it feels it. They're the bits that give me goosebumps, oh. actually. And I think I think every time someone comes up to you and thanks you for that or thanks you for something they've had in stylist, mm. like nothing matches that, mm. except for the woman who was on the tube one day who just shouted the word feminist at me across <laughs> the escalators in Holborn tube station. I was like, I'll take that. Oh my I God, am. that is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Wear it with pride. Um, why do you think... Personally, Stylist has been so successful. Personally, I would like to think it's that we understand our audience, actually, Mm. to the the point I've made a few times now that we're listening, that we are understanding what our audience wants and they want to engage and that we're really clear about who we are and Mm. what we represent. We have a purpose. We have a bit of a mission, actually. We want to be an advocate and a voice for women. We want to make women's lives better. And we want to do that with all the charm that your friends would do that with you. You know, we we are in it with you. And I I think that for me is probably the spirit I hope is that that's what our audience are engaging with and that's why they like it 100% I think that's the best answer and I think you are doing that so pat on the back to you (laughs) thank you Um, thank you we finish every podcast with two questions that we ask everyone and we've talked about all sorts today we've gone from strength to diversity to visibility but I wondered what does strength look like to you Uh, for me strength well, strength in anyone is someone who knows themselves, I think. Someone mm. who is proud to be themselves, who doesn't try and sort of homogenize into a crowd, mm. who's comfortable with who they are, who can genuinely mm. sort of go, I like myself. I think that is a true strength. So mm. having your own identity and the power that comes with that is mm. incredibly strong to me. Mm. I love that. And finally, who in your life demonstrates strength the most? Probably, I would have said my my grandmother passed away last year, but I probably would have said her because she had this incredibly tough life. I mean, she came to the UK post-war. She was Italian, met my grandfather, who was Polish post-war. They moved to Wales, ended up, they didn't speak English or Welsh, and they had to fit in with that community, and they had nothing. My, my granddad was a minor. And the life she endured and some of the things, and 
were just unthinkable to us, actually. And she was so incredibly proud of watching what we then went on to achieve. I mean, she tells the story about how she had to carry both her sons around because she had no pram. And then to see me editing a magazine and to see my brother do so well and her children do so well, it was such an immense source of pride for her. Mm. But I, in return, I was like, wow, you just soldiered on, didn't mm. you? What an incredibly strong woman. Mm. She had so little and gave us so much. Mm. I Honestly, I think sometimes we look to people like that and you can get so much inspiration from the resilience that they have. I think resilience is a huge part of the people yeah. that inspire me most. And I think it's such yeah. an incredible quality to have. Lisa, it's been absolutely amazing. Thank you so oh. much. We have covered a lot and I really appreciate you being so open and honest and vulnerable with a lot of what you've talked about. And I, yeah, I'm so grateful for you joining me. I think it's so interesting to have someone like yourself on the podcast because like I said earlier, we sort of we, we cover a whole host of different people that come on. So the focus is obviously strength. But one thing that I mentioned in your intro is I think you really are creating that narrative of what is strength and, and redefining it for women. And I think that's why we were so so keen to have you on, because I think you really are championing that message. And I'm just so grateful for you doing that. And I am just feeling very, very grateful that you've given us your time and come on. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. And I have to say the same to you because I know that's absolutely the spirit of what you do. So, you know, I actually say mutual love in here because I think think what you do is incredible and you're changing the conversation as well. So keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Give Me Strength. We appreciate any feedback you can give. So please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and come back next week for another episode.